Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So it's a well-established fact at this point that a lot of movies are adapted into Broadway musicals these days. Some of them make sense. Others do not make so much sense. But if there's one movie that in retrospect was probably for years crying out to come to the stage, it's School of Rock, the 2003 film starring Jack Black. On so many levels, it made sense to become a musical. Of course, there's the basic plot, which is all about how a music teacher introduces rock and roll to the kids at a strict private elementary school and changes their lives so much for the better. The movie was directed by Richard Linklater, whose films have always had music as basically kind of their lifeblood. And of course, Jack Black himself is in a rock band, Tenacious D. Uh, So it was always completely about music and the thrill of performing it. So when School of Rock did debut on Broadway, it didn't feel like a huge surprise. But what was kind of shocking was the fact that the music, aside from a couple of songs which transferred from the film, was by Andrew Lloyd Webber, the longtime Broadway legend who wrote Cats and Phantom of the Opera, among many other very grand shows that maybe don't immediately bring to mind rock or a a great sense of humor. Um, But yet another very pleasant surprise was that it turned out he was a great match for this material. He clearly was having a lot of fun with it um, because the musical totally captures the joy and just like the rock energy of the movie from beginning to end. School of Rock opened on Broadway in late 2015. It ended up getting four Tony nominations at the time. And it just recently announced that after this very long run, it will close January 20th of next year, 2019. So now seemed like the perfect time to catch up with a group from the show, see how it's going. This is definitely one of the most diverse groups of guests I've had on the podcast. There's Justin Collette, who plays the lead role of Dewey. Uh, Levi Buxbazen, who, as Freddie, is one of the incredibly talented kids in the show. He knows more about metal than probably I do or many other grownups. And music supervisor Ethan Pop, who has been with School of Rock since its beginnings on stage. This is surely the only podcast about Broadway where you will hear a stellar rendition of a Foo Fighters hit. So please enjoy my chat with some of the band from School of Rock. There's been one solution. 
What a serious group of people I have here today Very in the serious. Billboard Library. Absolutely yeah. serious. Yeah. Uh, so who are all of you? Uh, I'm Ethan Pop. I'm the music supervisor of School of Rock. I'm Levi Booksbazen. I play Freddy the drummer in School of Rock. I'm Justin Collette. I play Dewey Finn in School of Rock. And in case it wasn't clear that you played Dewey, you walked into the office today doing like some sort of Ministry of Silly Walks situation. I, no, it's my, it's my dance. I'm, I'm a mover. It's yeah. actually how he walks down the street <laughs> for the most part. He needs a five-foot radius around him at I do, all times. I do, which is tricky in this city, but I, I poke a lot of eyes out. <laughs> you make it work. No, thank you. Uh, well, I'm delighted to see all of you. I, uh, I saw School of Rock when it first opened, so I feel like it's probably maybe changed in some ways since I, I first got there, but uh, you guys are, I think, like the, the closing Broadway cast, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We're going to we're going to we're going to take this thing out in a blaze of glory. <laughs> White hot glory into yes. the sunset. Horses, sunset, glory. Rebirth. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say no pressure at all, but you are the people who history will remember. Good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Hopefully positively. Hopefully positively. <laughs> yes. So I have to say, Ethan, you have more piercings than the usual Billboard on Broadway guest. Yeah. Does that read on the podcast? Can everyone see it? I told you the physical bits were going to pay off. I told you all of our physical yes. bits were going to pay off. I wish there were like wh- whatever the visual version of like smell-o-vision would be for podcasting. It's a television. <laughs> it's an actual television <laughs> where people do interviews, not not like on the radio. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I. I'm curious whether you all came to this show from a sort of purely Broadway background or what were you kind of doing musically before you came to School of Rock? Oh, my oh my goodness. Uh, well, I came to Broadway completely by accident. I, I studied I studied performance music when I was in college uh, and thinking I was going to be some sort of, I don't know, uh, rock star something or other and it was actually the summer after my freshman year of college that uh, I started music directing in theater and conducting orchestras and I thought it was just going to be something that uh, that I did temporarily as like a summer job and here I am now 20 some odd years later still still doing it and supervising shows and orchestrating and arranging and uh, yeah. But I, but I didn't purely come from Broadway. It was just kind of by accident. <laughs> and have you stayed in the in the kind of like rock pop musical realm before this, or was this like a departure for you? Uh, no, this this was uh, I think right in my wheelhouse. I mean, I was the supervisor, arranger, orchestrator for uh, uh, Rock of Ages uh, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, yes. um, and then did the worldwide productions of that uh, Motown, the musical, you know, and 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 sort of you know. This sort of music was very much, uh, you know, in the realm of what I grew up listening to in terms of like, you know, guitar driven rock and roll. So it just seemed like a very natural, uh, natural fit. Awesome. Levi, how did you become the rock and drummer on stage? <laughs> uh, so I really did not want to be on Broadway before this. <laughs> <laughs> like, my family's always been a huge, like, theater family, so I kind of just, like, watched the Tonys, just sat back, and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, it's cool, and all, but I didn't really think much of it until my mom was just like, hey, they're looking for a drummer in School of Rock, and I'm like, all right, we can do that, and then I started auditioning and then got callbacks, and that's kind of when I became more serious about it, and I was, yeah. 
But is this is this like your first musical, period? Uh, I did one other musical in Charlotte, but that's it. So I guess you're, the, the bar is set high. <laughs> it's only downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think of Broadway now? I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's a magical world. <laughs> nice. I, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's a magical world. Yeah, I didn't. I, I also I didn't uh, see myself coming to um, <clears throat> to Broadway. I did a lot of my my voice sounds weird. There we go. Um, uh, I did a lot of stage acting and improv and and sketch comedy is more like the background that I come from. Mm-hmm. I was also in a band uh, that was kind of my first uh, foray into arts. I guess was was writing and playing rock music, um, and so when uh, the audition for this came across my email inbox. I was like, well, this is perfect. This is perfect for me. This is like a Venn diagram of everything that I've ever done. Um, and then I auditioned for it. And also here I am. And it's a magical place. It is. It's so magical. Very magical. <laughs> it's magical. I feel like the two of you should take like an act on the road just from. We do. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, he, uh, I'm a ventriloquist and I just, he talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. Is that our act? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to take our pipes on the road. We have sweet pipes. Yes. Which, again, reads on radio. It's perfect. Our sweet biceps are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Well, yeah, I wanted to know, before we talk about the band on stage, like, what are your personal histories with bands? Like, what do you what, what do you play? Like, what kind of, what were your rock inspirations before coming to the School of Rock? Oh, my goodness. Should I start? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I grew up playing piano. I mean, starting when I was five years old. Um, and the inspiration for that was actually listening to film music for whatever reason. I grew up an hour outside of Boston in the era where John Williams was conducting the Boston Symphony and the Boston Pops and went to see E.T., um, should give you some indication of how old I am, uh, mm-hmm. when I was about four years old and fell in love with the music of E.T. and started playing piano and begged my parents to take piano lessons. They eventually allowed me to, um, and I was sort of directed towards classical music. Um, but then I started you know, paying attention to how piano was used in things like Motown music and you know, different uh, pianist, singer-songwriters, Billy Joel, Elton John, Bruce Hornsby, um, and discovered that there was something else you know, in, in that, that could be done with piano other than classical music. Um, and then during high school, I lived in a town uh, called Sunapee, New Hampshire, which no one has ever heard of, except for the fact that Steve Tyler of Aerosmith grew up there oh. uh, and still has a summer home there. And when I was flipping hamburgers at the little place on the lake uh, when I was 14 years old, Steven Tyler and his wife and their kids used to come up to the window to get ice cream. And at the time I was playing in a band and I thought that was really cool and thought, oh, well, maybe there's something more to music than just having it be a hobby. You know, if this guy can do it, maybe I can do it too. Did you ever pitch him on like, can we open for you guys? I would have found that impossible to resist at 14 or 15. I would have like tried to get into Aerosmith. Um... No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, no. We, no. We were we were we were a little shy. You know, we we were playing on a, like a little bandstand in front of fifty people, and you know, uh, Steve Tyler and Joe Perry walk up and watch us holding their ice cream cone with their kids, and you're like, ah, okay, <laughs> this time to happening. level up. <laughs> 
Amazing. I have to interject and just ask, because it comes up on the podcast so much, like Billy Joel as an inspiration for theater people. Yeah. Like why I actually just saw him at Madison Square Garden for the first time and it was Yeah, I saw him a couple months ago too. It's pretty great. He's right? amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. so why why do theatrical people love Billy Joel so much? Do you have theories? I think it's because his his music is lyrical in a way that it, that music theater is too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like music theater music tends to uh, the chords tend to follow the story of the song, and I think that Billy Joel is one of the pop, one of the only pop artists I, I can think of that actually follows that structure. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't have like a, a one four or five like standard pop progression that a lot of artists use in their songs. He his like scenes from an Italian Restaurant is just <laughs> the music follows where his story's going. Mm-hmm. So I think that matches up a lot with uh, what music theater. Uh, is I also think that he's got just the widest array. Like he he did scenes from Italian Restaurant and also like we didn't start the fire. Uh, so his his range is incredible of the type of songs that he writes. But Ethan, you probably yeah. I, I think I think for me it comes down to two things. One, like Justin was saying, the the, the music is compositional in nature as opposed to just being. Buddy Holly, you know, one, six, four, five, here's some chords and here's a story. But it's but it's also, you know, he's not just a lyricist, but he's a storyteller. And if you look at his first album, Cold Spring Harbor, all the way through Underappreciated, um, I feel. Absolutely underappreciated. All the way through River of Dreams, it tells the story of this of, of of this guy's life growing up on Long Island. And and you listen to the first track on Cold Spring Harbor all the way through the last track on River of Dreams, and you have the story of his life, much like we use songs to tell stories in theater. So I think that is uh, a, a, you know, a huge reason why people within theater arts tend to look to Billy Joel as some sort of inspiration or having some sort of effect on their lives. Mm-hmm. You know? That makes sense to me. Uh, Levi, so tell me about how you came to rock, because I feel like a lot of young people today, rock is maybe not the first thing they listen to. Uh, it should be, because it's just yes. fantastic. <laughs> so- Preach, preach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, I started playing drums when I was about four years old. And about, I don't know, a couple years back, I was in this band called Juice Box. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, excellent that name for a, a band. That is the best band name ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm so mad. <laughs> Hours I've spent trying to come up with a band name. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we did a couple gigs, some like backyard stuff. Who was in your band? Uh, so my dad <laughs> teaches music lessons and kind of. Was your dad in your band? I got connections. Oh, you got connections. Okay. I got, yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone. <laughs> did you guys write your own stuff or did you cover stuff? No, we covered stuff. A lot of rocks, you know, Billy Joel, all that great stuff. Get back with the Billy Joel again. You can't, you can't, can't get it. away from it. No, can't escape the Joel. Can't what, but what besides it. Billy Joel were you doing? Uh, uh, I don't know. Luai Luai. You know that song? Yeah, it was a good song. Uh, trying to think. I think that was it. <laughs> Just Billy Joel and Louie Louie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Focus repertoire. <laughs> Just play half of the River of Dreams and for good measure throwing on Louie Louie. And call it a day. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What do you like listening to? I was listening to a lot of Rush back then. A lot of Rush. I want to say Levi's taste in music is is 
upsettingly refined. Like uh, he'll, he'll come into my dressing room uh, before the show and I'll be like, hey man, check out this song. And I'll say some like stupid punk song from, uh, I was a huge fan of punk music uh, like. growing up. And I'm like, hey man, look at this song. And Levi's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I can see his eyes like glaze over. And then I'm like, what are you listening to? And he's like, look at this jazz guitarist. And it's this incredible, <laughs> he's listening to like this. He's, he, he showed me a YouTube video of this guy playing jazz for like 75 minutes. And he's like, come wow. listen to this. And he walks out of the room. I'm like, I listen to it. It's the most complicated song I've heard in my entire life. <laughs> I don't know what you do. You, you sit in like a smoking jacket and your velvet slippers listening to jazz music at home. Friggin' no, genius. It's mostly metal music I listen to. He also loves metal. I love amazing. metal, bro. It's, I know. They've got great drumming. Jazz yeah, and metal and prog rock. What else? What more do you need? You need Blink 182. You need Green Day. You yeah. need the Green Offspring. Day. Yes, I love Green Day. You need you need propaganda. You need anti flag. Yes, this is like my high school that you're talking yes. about. Yes, Warp Tour. Yes. Warped tour. Oh man, Montreal, fifteen. <laughs> Absolutely. That so so that was your rock upbringing. Yeah, yeah. I loved, I love the, uh, I love the simplicity of like pop punk. I love just Blink One Eighty Two playing four chords and getting one riff and hooking it into you and it just bearing. Andrew Lloyd Webber does that too. I find with his shows, like you don't ever leave an Andrew show without a hook in your head. Everybody knows. If you say Phantom of the Opera, the second you hear that name to me, you just like the everybody knows that hook. Um, and I love that in music. That's what drew me to 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 pop and, and to that that pop punk stuff is that it was just simple chords with a hook and it was easy for somebody learning how to play music. It was a great way in because it was like, oh, I can do that. I can play Tom DeLong's songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a few months to learn. And yeah. then they got quicker and quicker, but it's it's a it was a great starter kit for learning how to write songs and build songs. Yeah, and that, well, and that speaks to a lot of like a, a songwriter or composer's longevity as well. I mean, talk about like the uh, how prolific Andrew is in his writing, and the and the fact that Phantom of the Opera is so recognizable. But you know, hmm. people would say you know same thing about the Beatles. You mentioned Beatles to yeah. you know, someone of my parents' generation or someone of of Levi's generation, and everybody you know can sing. At least a handful of Beatles songs. You oh, know, for sure. With like Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's you know one of the most prolific songwriters of, of of the world. Billy Joel, that's why he sticks around for so long too. Can we get Billy in here? Is Billy outside? <laughs> I don't know. Billy, I, I, we don't have a helipad. I feel. I like. know he cho- he takes a helicopter. I to imagine him Garden, just right? taking a helicopter everywhere. I yeah. know. <laughs> oh man, if I was Billy Joel, I for sure would take a helicopter everywhere. Yeah. Go to get some eggs and milk. <laughs> I just I'll imagine it's right the, into that key foods. It's the only way he travels. In He's my just head. humming River of Dreams. <laughs> yes, <laughs> something to aspire to. Well, since we're talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber, now is the time on the podcast when we talk about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Let's do it. Uh, I I feel like the the one of the main delights of School of Rock is you're like, whoa, this is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like Andrew Lloyd Webber is having fun and being silly, and like I think this was like a really pleasant surprise to everyone when uh when the show first opened and i think it was um part of like a big part of the like really good buzz around the show when it started um when you heard andrew led weber doing school of rock did you immediately think oh that makes sense or like how did you sort of wrap your mind around that i assume you were working well yeah i mean i was i was i was in uh into the fold very early on and i remember when nina lannon our executive producer called me and asked me if i would like to have a conversation with andrew for it i was in rehearsals for 
uh, another show at the time um, for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I stepped out of the rehearsals to take this call, and I spoke to Nina about it, and, it, and she mentioned Andrew Lloyd Webber and Julian Fellows and Glenn Slater and School of Rock, and I thought, and I thought, oh wow, that sounds fantastic. Um, absolutely, I'd love to meet with him and, and discuss the project. And I got off the phone, and I was back in rehearsal, and ten minutes later, I went, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Julian Fellows. School of Rock. Huh? <laughs> yes, you're like, um, <laughs> how British does it get? <laughs> yeah, but but you know, going through the experience of working on the, you know, we we did it. We did a developmental run off Broadway just for a few weeks, just to sort of try out the material, and you know, I mean, Julian Fellows writes epic stories. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber writes epic musicals, and there's something so epic about about this storytelling and what it does to humanity and like never giving up on you know on on one's dreams you know and also being able to follow you know follow your heart and follow uh you know chase after the things that you love and uh, you know and 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 going through it you know though i was you know at first i think you know surprised at the choice of you know composer book writer you know it, it was it was it absolutely made sense, and you know I think what we what we ended up with was a, was a was a show that really touches so many people, um, you know of all age of all ages because of who was contributing to the storytelling. That makes sense. I have to say that like after I saw it, I was like, oh, if you think about it, like Rocket. I think there is a rock through line to a lot of his music. I mean, like with Jesus Christ Superstar and even in Evita, there's like kind of a rock energy to a lot of the music. And the opening to Phantom is like kind of like low key headbangy music. Yeah, <laughs> Phantom is like kind of metal. Like yeah. there's some songs in it that if if you just slapped a distortion filled guitar on it, it would it would sound like it would sound like metal. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, when I heard about it, like again, I got I got the audition for it. It was like School of Rock. I was like, oh, cool. And then I saw Andrew Lloyd Webber. I'm like, this might as well be a part of it. <laughs> like, if we're going to go big, it may as well be the biggest thing in the entire world. Sure, the guy who wrote and created Downton Abbey and Gosford Park did the book. Yeah. It's a Jack Black movie. They're turning into a musical. And why not have Andrew write the music to it? Like, it's just, it's... It's it's a an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> it's, just, it's, Absolutely. it's an unbelievable uh, uh, group of people working on just uh, uh, yeah an, uh, an epic but like simple story, which is which I think are the best ones. Uh, yeah, it's about as epic as it gets. Levi, did you like know who Sir Andrew L W was yes. before this? Okay, <laughs> so were you like, wait a minute, how is this guy doing rock music? Yeah, it was kind of weird at first, because, like, I only knew him for Cats and Phantom at that time. So I was like, wait, he does rock? And then my sister was just like, oh, yeah, he does rock. That's, yeah. <laughs> She's, like, <laughs> casual. Yeah. Because, like, he, like, he's a huge Broadway geek. Well, both of them are. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'll audition. Why not? Yeah, right. I love rock, you know? Sweet drumming, man. getting paid to drum. Like, yeah. what's better than that? Literally <laughs> nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. <laughs> you think, wait, I don't know. How was I burned there? <laughs> working with you is pretty trying to fun. Figure it out. What? Working with you working is with pretty, you is pretty fun. fun. Thanks for the, He's giving me a firm handshake. You guys can't see this. Wow. Well, firm. Ah! You make a noise with it. Wait. <laughs> there you go. Well, you heard the handshake. I mean, putting the, the band on stage, the scenes with the band on stage are, I think, the, the best parts of the show. And 
um, you know, I think in real life, like you can't force band chemistry. Like it's something that happens over time and it's like a unique mixture of personalities and talent. And uh, this seems like a really unique thing to make work on stage and also to feel as I think it does, like there is some spontaneous energy, like it doesn't just feel like totally choreographed. Mm -hmm. So how do you, in addition to the normal kind of rehearsal you have to do for a musical, like how do you make this band happen and, and, and sort of build that bond? Wow. Uh, it's, that's a great question. How do we make that bond? It, it, it's, I've, I've had uh, uh, several different casts of kids come through the show in the last year uh, that mm -hmm. I've been involved with it. Um, and it's, it's funny. It always just seems to kind of work. I mean, we have great, first of all, I think we have great casting people. Uh, who are, are constantly working to bring and find amazing kids into the show. Uh, and so the, the, the people that they're bringing into the project are just are great people to work with. And, you know, we do the show constantly. I mean, this it's eight shows a week. And so after a while, you just kind of feel the different, uh, how, how everybody kind of works together, the different vibes of everyone. And, uh, yeah, it just, it, it kind of clicks. That was a medium answer. Ethan helped <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I wish know. everybody here like graded their answers. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was medium good. I give myself a C on that answer. If you're still listening so, to this, so I, I you know, I, I think from my point of view, you know, looking back to when I first got involved, I realized that this was going to take a very sort of special set of circumstances. Not only because we have young people in the show, um, and there are plenty of shows with young people, but then you know we're asking them to be able to sing, to be able to act, to be able to dance, and be able to play instruments at a very high level um, and play them live on stage every single night. And there's nothing, uh, you know, there, there, there's nothing faked. There's nothing, yes, we have a, you know, a, what we would refer to as the pit band under under the stage that plays the, you know, the, the songs that the, that the kids aren't playing. Um, but we knew early on that the energy of the show was going to revolve so much around, you know, what these kids did live every night. Um, and, and within that, we were, you know, getting kids together who didn't have experience, um, you know, playing, you know, in front of, you know, 1500 people every night, um, didn't have experience playing on TV, didn't have experience, you know, playing in recording studios. So one of the things we did very early on with our original group of kids, even before we started the developmental run off Broadway, was took them into a world class recording studio here in New York. And we spent three days there just jamming, you know, and we listened to multi-track recordings of um, a bunch of really famous rock acts um, and sort of evaluating them and, and figuring out how, you know, you know, bass and drums interplayed and, you know, how guitars, you know, pan left, panned right, solos in the center, or solos doubled. Like we were really just sort of evaluating music and jamming and, you know, having the opportunity to listen to one another and, you know, you know, critique ourselves as musicians and sort of, you know, get them to start experiencing music in the realm that they were going into and just have a, a, a lot of fun. So, I mean, we were playing, you know, um, a lot of ACDC that weekend. <laughs> um, and we just sort of, you know, Justin has a line in the show. What's, you know, what's the, uh, what's the first thing you do when you start a band? You talk about your influences. And we did a lot of that. And we, and we you know, we were jamming on those influences. Um, so with that being said, when we started go going, you know, one, once the show was up and created, uh, we needed a way to sort of keep that vibe going. So uh, 
we have our own rehearsal facility just a few blocks from the theater, like a block from the theater here in New York, uh, where we can hold band rehearsals, where all of the equipment's set up, and anytime we need to, we can get over there, we can jam, we can work on music. All of, you know, any new cast member uh, that's coming to the show, they do all of their rehearsals over there, and, you know, we just kind of keep it, you know, loosey goosey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at Levi, as as a veteran of Juicebox, like why do you think why 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 do you think which which sounds pretty serious to me? Why do why do you think it works with you and the other kids and Justin? I don't know. I I think it's just because I've always been in the kids' bands and just the chemistry works so well. And then Justin just adding on to it just being like ah, guys let's rock like stuff like that i do just yell at them like that. pumping <laughs> pump making us pedal like push forward into the music just getting really into it it's it's epic yeah i've started a for real band with three of the kids who are not in the show anymore oh really yeah we we, we play oh, we, yeah. we play these charity shows like it's it, the 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 chemistry and the jamming is it, it it is real with some of these with some of these these kids and and uh, the four of us did a charity concert like a year ago and then we we're like oh this kind of works it's me Brandon Niederauer who's the original guitar player Jersey Sullivan who's the original uh, 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 James in the show and Ragoff uh, uh, who was one of the uh, drummers that came along and the four of us just loved playing music together and so now we do it for charity like every few months and that's it's, amazing it's, it's a blast and it's actually really fun brandon is like the mini hendrix basically the brandon right? is the mini hendrix yeah. yes he's incredible he's wow. unbelievable yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say as, a, as someone who has played with like adult bands is there is it more fun in certain ways to play with kids uh, it's 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 really the talent and the chemistry the thing that you're talking about it's it's like the age thing doesn't really come into play with some of these kids. I mean, I don't know what what Ethan did when they first started or how they found them, but their 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 ear for it is incredible. And like, I, I remember when we first were rehearsing with this band that I'm in with these kids who graduated from the show. the the bass player who's like 13, maybe Jersey is, was running the rehearsal. He just was like, that wasn't tight enough. We need to go back and tighten that up. And I'm like, yep. So they're just like, he just, they just hear it. They're just, they're, they're, they're brilliant. And I, I think that like, it doesn't really matter how, how old you are. It's, it's, it's how it's your, your love of the music kind of just comes through and your commitment to it. Mm-hmm. I was curious in general, like how an audition for School of Rock is different from an audition for like 
carousel. <laughs> um, I mean, what were you were you involved in the casting process? In oh this? yeah, every 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 moment of it. Well, um, uh, it would differ from a carousel audition in the fact that you're not often asked to play electric guitar in a carousel. <laughs> yeah. There's that. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, um, I didn't see the the recent revival, but I don't think they added <laughs> no, distorted no, guitar. It's really great, <clears throat> but there is no electric. Guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly in in any Broadway show, there's there, there's certain aspects that are very similar in the you know in the, in the realm of casting. You know, can you act? Can you sing? Can you dance? Um, the School of Rock is different because we ask people to bring in a, a pair of drumsticks in, in Levi's case or you know their own guitar. And I remember you know going back to the original uh, original cast of kids and trying to find them. I was daunted with the task. I'm sitting there saying, Are we going to find you know? 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds that can play at the level that I am imagining in my head um, and that I know that a Broadway audience will sort of require. And we, you know, and, you know, thankfully, uh, we had a great casting team from Tara Rubin Casting, you know, and we were all kind of like going out and scouring the internet and, you know, television shows and just trying to find, you know, these kids um, from... Uh, you know, wh- wherever we could. And I remember meeting Brandon Niederauer for the first time and he came into one of these auditions and I hadn't heard of him um, at the time. And he comes in with his guitar and his dad comes in and brings a little pedal, pedal board, you know, with, with, with like a distortion pedal. I was like, oh, this is cute. Um, <laughs> I said, well, what are you going to, what are you going to play and sing for us? And, and he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play dead or alive. You know, and he goes into the intro, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cute." He, you know, he can arpeggiate, you know, on a on a clean sound, really nicely. Oh, he's got a really nice voice. And I actually got up and went over to the piano, and I was like, "I'm just gonna jam with him and see how tight he is rhythmically." And you know, we went through the second verse and second chorus of the song, and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm just gonna dig in just in case he wants to play a little bit of a solo here." And I remember the moment that we got to the guitar solo and he stomped on his distortion pedal to pull up his lead tone and his entire demeanor changed and his face changed. <laughs> and he does he, have that face. And he has he, that stank face. And, and, yeah, stank face. And, and, and he tore into one of, for lack of a better term, the tastiest guitar solos I've ever heard. And he wasn't he wasn't copying the original guitar solo. This is something that 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 he felt inside of him and, and you know and finding somebody um like brandon niederauer who really feels it um inside of them uh that plays from their heart and not from their head it's it, it, it's it's a really special thing we've been really lucky i mean levi every, every every single kid that we've had come through the show to this point does come from that world you ask these kids what their musical influences are none of them are saying taylor swift um they're all like Levi and talking about Rush and ACDC and Aerosmith and, you know, uh, you know, these great rock acts that, you know, that I grew up with. And it's and it was really kind of impressive to hear. That's nice to hear because like the, you know, in the music industry, the like, oh, is rock dead talk like, you know, is always sort of like yeah. humming in the background. But it's, you know, the fact that Levi is listening to these acts is like really encouraging and. It's not dead. That's not, not dead. No, it, can, no. it never will it die. Yeah. No. Rock will never die. <laughs> <laughs> what did you sing for your audition? I sang uh, "Best of You" by the Foo Fighters. So my audition was, uh, for lack of a better term, nuts. 
I had to come in and sing a rock song of my choice. I had to do, I mean, the lines for doing the show are essentially, it's it's a, a big monologue. <laughs> so I had to do 10 pages of that. I had to play a guitar solo. I had to sing three of the songs from the show. One of them is a cappella. One of them was with music. So it's, yeah, Dewey Dewey does a, a bunch of stuff in the show. And um, yeah, but I, again, I come, I come from rock. I love, I love rock and roll and uh, I thought Foo Fighters was a fun choice for an audition song for a Broadway show. Yeah. And this is one where you can do that and it, it works. That's like a high note to come in on out of nowhere, too. Oh, I love it. I love me some Dave Grohl. Just yeah. screaming into that mic. Yeah. It's, that seems intimidating, but yeah, I'm sure it's great when it works. Yeah. I mean, I auditioned in, in a basement of a theater for, and there were like three people in the room and it was 11 o'clock in the morning and I walked in just screaming Foo Fighters. It was yes. great. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. I'm going to give that answer a B. That was a good answer. You're improving. A, yeah, yeah, I'm improving. Great, great. Yes. Yes. By the end of the podcast. I can... have a confession to make. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, but in, you know, in someone like Justin's case and in, in Levi's case and everyone that we've put in the show, there's something memorable that happens uh, in the audition room that very first time you see them where something clicks and you say, okay, well, maybe not every single piece is right where we'd like it to be, but there's something so memorable that you just know at that instant, like, they're going to be in the show, you know, and that was specifically the case with, with, with Justin. Um, when was the moment you knew I was going to be in the show? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> Honestly, the moment that I was that I was like, oh my god, he actually can play guitar. We've had we've had, we've had a wide range. Like, oh my god, he can sing and act, and and he can play guitar. You know, with with we've had we've had some Deweys that we've uh, you know had to put through a lot of training to get them up to up to speed to play the role. Where Justin like came in and actually played a played a solo, and I was like. That will work just as is. <laughs> All of the pieces That'll are work. there. He ticks every single box in terms of what we need musically. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that was one. That was actually a really uh, a fun moment for me. So I, I I auditioned for Andrew. Not everybody does, but I remember I played the the solo from Teacher's Pet, and he looked at me and went, "So you can play?" And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> that's amazing." Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, I do, do you just have some fun Andrew Lloyd Webber stories to share? That's pretty great. That would be, that would be yeah. I mean, that was, uh, again, and at the end of my audition, uh, uh, he, uh, I remember he said to me, uh, our, our director, Lawrence, uh, uh, he wasn't there for the second time that I auditioned for the, for the show, but uh, Andrew was there. And at the end of the audition, he said, oh, you know, Lawrence, Lawrence liked you very much. And, that, and then I went, uh hope you did too <laughs> and then everybody but him laughed and then I got my guitar and I walked out of the room yeah. <laughs> you were like and I'm done for the day yeah, and I'm like I hope this read well okay <laughs> bye forever <laughs> I have to say for me the most memorable experience working with Andrew is is the fact that you know you think of Andrew Lloyd Webber and you think of all of these shows that he has written and how prolific he is as a, as, as a composer but you know some people fail to uh to remember that you know even with the with the uh title of lord before his name he's still he's a lord 
He's a lord. I thought yeah. he was only a sir. No, no, he's a lord. He's Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, wow. That he's, but he's still he's still a normal person. He likes all of the same things. He likes vacationing. He likes, uh, you know, listening to music. And you know, I remember in some of my early interactions with him, and you know, he, he and I would go out for lunch or something. He would just like to talk about the music he listened to. You know, and and though he wrote the scores, you know, to to Cat's Phantom of the Opera, the reason why you hear that rock influence is because he's a rocker at heart. You know, but his his career started where doing anything rock and roll in theater was really pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. You know, because it wasn't it wasn't a common voice that you heard in musical theater, and and and. and and thanks to him, that paved the way for you know every single rock and roll show that's happened on Broadway in the West End since. Yeah, I I actually only saw Cats for the first time in this most recent revival, and as I was sitting there, I I mean like I feel like Cats has become you know the show that's like equally loved and reviled depending on who you talk to, <laughs> and as I was watching it, I was like. This is a truly strange show. Like it's like I can't imagine, you know, young Andrew Lloyd Webber going into some producer's office and being like, "Here's the idea. Listen, I'm going to get forty <laughs> people. I'm going to dress them as cats. We're going to take a T.S. Eliot poem and they're going to sing about it on a pile of garbage. Exactly. It's like beautiful, exactly. beautiful." <laughs> Run for 20 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they'll be doing ballet the and entire they'll be doing time. Ballet. The, uh, the, first, the first two musicals I ever saw were in the West End when I was 13 years old, and they were both Andrews shows. I saw Phantom, uh, the matinee of Phantom, and I left the matinee of Phantom, and I was like, I love music theater. I, I want to do this forever. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. When the chandelier fell, all the music, everything, I was just, I was blown away. And I saw Cats that night, and I was like, huh. Uh, I, I was just, I'd never heard of T.S. Eliot. I was front row. There was just one cat in my face the entire time, just like rotating. And I was like, I'm not sure what the show is about. I don't, I don't think I understand. I'd love to go see it again uh, as, 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 a, as an adult. But as a child, I was very confused as to what the cats were doing. Yeah, I, the, the friends of mine who saw it as children, either it's the thing that like made them love musical theater, yeah. or they were like totally weirded out and frightened by b being like climbed upon. I was by a bit, I was a bit scared. I was very confused. <laughs> yes, there are weird sexual undertones to cats too. There's like the cat orgy. Like right. there's a lot going on in cats. Levi, plug your ears. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's, he's seen. Read cats. a book. He knows cats. Right. I've actually I, I, I never think... seen it though. No? Oh, you just know the music. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm actually allergic. Well, ah, oh, I give that uh, joke a C. That was C minus. <laughs> I'm only um, allergic to real cats. I remember. I remember the first time I saw I saw cats, and I had very, I had very mixed emotions. But one of the things that stuck with me, and the reason why I think it ran for. 20 some odd years uh, in its original run on Broadway is the fact that it pushed every single envelope and every single convention of what we prescribe to as musical theater. You know, it's not Carousel. It was cats singing about a T.S. Eliot poem, telling the story of a T.S. Eliot poem while doing ballet on a pile of garbage. Yeah. You know, and that was something, and getting in your face, and it was something that nobody had ever seen up oh, to that. Up now to that I'm time. like, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Now I'm like, <laughs> like it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. What a great, what an amazing idea. You know, and, I, and, I, you know, and, 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 and for me, that's precisely the re reason why it spoke to so many people. It was like, oh, you can do what? We can do what we can do what with our storytelling, and again, it influenced everything that I, you know that that came after it in, in theater. 
you know. and go and going back to the rock influence in his work too. I was like, I remember sitting in the theater and hearing like the synthesizer kick in, and I was yeah. like, yeah, like that does kind of give you chills. I have to admit. Oh, I just want to hear Steve Perry sing "Memory." Like it'd be so <laughs> great. Wouldn't that, that be great? Wow. Yes. Just with Journey back in it. Yeah, you I, can take any of his music and transpose it onto a rock band. And it's, I think it's I heard this morning that Steve Perry might be doing like some <gasps> new solo music, so I would like put that number one no. on the wish list. No. Oh, that would be amazing. Was just reading about that last night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know not to get please. too excited, but I was please, a little excited. Perry, please, <laughs> please. Come back. If you listen to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. Do something with Billy Joel. Please. <laughs> please. Amazing. Well, I I will close the podcast on on a very deep note. I was I was thinking about, you know, like what what is so, you know, touching and relatable about this show. And, you know, I, I think it's great that s- such a big part of it is about, like, that music education is, like, important and wonderful and, like, a great music teacher can change your life. Um, but it's not like an orchestra teacher. It's not like <laughs> a country western show. So I, I wondered if you think that the show is really just about, like, the transformative power of music in general or if there's something specific about it being rock that makes it so powerful. I think that rock is an accessible form of music. I think, I think that it's uh, like, it's, it's, it's simpler than uh, compositional music or, or, or orchestration. It's something that I think a lot of people can really relate to. And I think with kids giving them a, a music education, I think is so important for kids because anytime you can give a, a kid a form of language that they can communicate other than uh, like speaking or, or, or writing like tests in school, it's, it's invaluable. So uh, like these kids speak to each other with their music and through their music. Like you said, like Brandon plays guitar from his heart. Levi plays these drum solos and they're different every night and it's from his soul. And anytime you can, uh, teach kids uh, a, a different language or a different way to communicate or a different way to express themselves. I think that that's one of the most valuable things that you can that you can do, and our show really celebrates that. And uh, I can't. Uh, I, the, one of my favorite stories from this whole show is um, Rachel Katsky, who used to play uh, Katie, the bassist in our show, came to see the show, had never played bass guitar before, but went home and she said, I'm going to be in that show. And she went and she picked up the bass and she learned how to play it and she auditioned and she got in. And that story happens a lot with the kids that we have in the show now that the show, they, they heard the language that the kids were speaking on stage through music and they took that back into their lives and they, and they, they grew because of it. Yeah. Brandon Niederauer, our original Zach in the show started to play guitar after going on a family trip and coming home in the back of their car was watching a movie and it was School of Rock with Jack Black. And he watched that movie and said, I want to play guitar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now he's playing, you know, Barclays with Scorpion and, you know, doing all sorts of amazing things. But, you know, it's it's because of that. For for me growing up, the, the transformative power of music was the fact that it was I mean, it was like therapy for me. It was therapeutic. You know, my parents had a tough time on the weekends pulling me away from the piano. Like, go play outside. No, I'm going to sit here for six hours and just, you know, play Billy Joel tunes, mm. you know, um, or play Journey. <laughs> uh, you know, be- because, it, you know, it allowed me to express things that I, I didn't even have words for, you know, at, at the age of, you know, six, seven, eight years old, ten years old. You know, and I still feel that way. 
Amazing. Well, thanks for coming, you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Levi, they t- there's a the tiny thumbs up, thumbs up <laughs> from <laughs> Levi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> School of Rock is playing on Broadway until January 20th of next year. So if you're in New York, I encourage you to go see it. The Billboard on Broadway podcast is now on many new platforms. In case you're not aware, we are no longer only on iTunes and Acast, but also on Spotify, Google Play and Stitcher, among many other places where you might find your favorite podcast. So please subscribe wherever it is that you listen. Uh, give us lots of nice reviews and stars. As always, if you want to tweet about the podcast, use hashtag Billboard on Broadway. I am at Rebecca Millsoff. Or if you want to look us up on Instagram, I'm at you down with RMM and hope to have you back next week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.